Welcome back to How to Be a Better DM. Today I am Justin Lewis. Actually, I'm always Justin Lewis, but today I'm joined with Tanner Whalen. Go ahead and say hi, Tanner. Hey, guys. And we have today with us a very special guest, Victor Bavine. And for me, he's kind of, he has a special place in my heart because I first got introduced to really anything to do with Dungeons and Dragons by listening to the R.A. Salvatore books about Dred Stewarden. And I listened to them on audiobook, and the voice actor who really personified, in my opinion, Driz Dorden was Victor Bavine. So having him here with us is a real treat for me personally, uh, because, like I said, I have fond memories of long road trips listening to Driz battle the monsters of the Underdark and then make his way to the surface and, and kind of go through a, you know, a similar trek I think a lot of us go through when we're trying to find out who we are and where we fit in life. So uh, thank you for being here, Victor. And if you want to, you can add to that introduction however you want. But uh, thank you for being here. Uh, sure, my pleasure. I'm, I'm thrilled that um, you know, I've been doing the Drizzt books for about 10 years now. And I think I'm up to 40 plus. I've done all but I think three of them. Wow. And those were done before I got involved. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've been an actor my whole life. And I'm also a writer and entrepreneur. And started doing audiobooks about 17 years ago and this was one of the first really big projects that I got so you know I'm thrilled I'm thrilled the fans like it I get a lot of really fun emails and funny in fact the the best one I've ever one of the best ones I've ever gotten I don't want to choose best but um this guy wrote me and said how um he was going blind actually and he was unable to read to his children anymore and so he would they would um listen to the Drizzt books uh, as bedtime stories together and it you know really brought a tear to my eye so i'm thrilled to be in but i love the books i'm thrilled to be here wow having experiences like that has to be life-changing because in you know in accounting you don't have the opportunity to change someone's life like that right <laughs> so uh well, well let's get into some of our questions uh and you know i thought one reason having you on the podcast would be so great is because as people play dungeons and dragons uh, one thing that a lot of people kind of are drawn towards naturally is just kind of the the attempts at voice acting. And I think it's a really great way to help your players become immersed. And so I thought it would be a great, a, a great thing to have you on and kind of talk about that. Um, but you also mentioned that you're also a, a writer. So tell us a little bit kind of how you got into voice acting and writing and, and kind of how those two interweave and, and things like that. <clears throat> Well, uh, I, I pretty much always wanted to be an actor. I decided when I was five that I wanted to be an actor because um, I saw this TV show. I wasn't allowed to have a dog. I really wanted a dog, and my mom wouldn't let me get a dog. And I saw this TV show about um, vaudeville, and, and there was this one dog act. And I got into my head that I was an actor. I could have a dog. And um, so, uh, <laughs> so anyway, so I decided I always wanted to be an actor. And then I always thought it was I love to read, and I, you know, I, I, I just. I'm classically trained as an actor, so I've done a lot of Shakespeare. So I think it really sets you up well for reading large blocks of text and making it understandable because that's the trick of, you know, being a narrator is knowing how to use language, you know, what we would call heightened language to, um, to uh, tell the story, but at the same time, keep it personal and human without getting too involved in, um, you know, technique. So... 
So anyway, so I'd been acting for years and uh, um, I was living in L.A. And toward the end of my time in L.A., my manager asked me, how would you like to read the Bible? And I said, uh, OK, so the, I, I was hired by this company to do I, I, there were like eight of us. And I read six books of the Old Testament, six books of the New. And it was pretty cool, pretty cool way to make a living. And then I moved back to New York and I actually bought this house in New Jersey in Newark for God knows why I did it because I wanted a project to renovate this and renovate this <laughs> old historic home. And so I um, I was in the midst of doing that. And it was right when Audible was moving to Newark, moving their their uh, headquarters to Newark. And I happened to see an interview with the CEO in the in the local paper. And I, I got on the company website and I emailed him. I figured out his email address. It was dcats at audible.com. And so I just emailed, thanks for taking a chance on Newark. <laughs> I said, I did the same thing. I bought this house and my friend said I was crazy to move from Santa Monica to Newark, but here I am and here's my voiceover demo. And I'd love to come in for an audition. And the CEO emailed me two days later and said, yeah, come in for an audition. So that's how I got started really doing audiobooks. And um, that was, gosh, like 2007 or eight. And I've done probably 350 okay. books at this point. Um, and I'd always wanted to be a writer. I'd, I'd been writing screenplays when I was in L.A. and almost got a couple of movies off the ground. And then I had a, I had a project that almost was, was super close. We had the money and almost in the bank. And then the financial crisis hit and the money disappeared. I was supposed to direct it. And I'd written the screenplay. And, um, and it, so it all fell apart. And I said, well, I've always wanted to write a novel. Now's the time. So I wrote the first draft of the novel, and it was awful. It was basically the screenplay without formatting, and because I didn't, I didn't know how to write fiction. It was right around that time that I started narrating at Audible, and then two years later, I picked up the novel mm -hmm. again after having probably narrated forty books, and I suddenly started writing again. I said, "Oh, I know how to write prose fiction now," because it was that was like my ten thousand hours. It was all, it was all there. So that so it all did kind of meld really nicely together, and um, uh, so that's sort of how I got to do all of it. Wow, I I love that so much. That's yeah. man, what a roller coaster! Yeah, oh, dang. Life of an artist. <laughs> so, uh, did you did did you find that you kind of naturally naturally gravitated to narrating the fictional books, or was that purely well, coincidental just, that they were like, no, hey, you're great for this? I've done a lot of. Um, like I just, my, my most recent book I just finished last week was about the Russo-Ukrainian War. Very intense, deep, um, mm. deeply historical, really dense. I had, I, you normally, you know, the, the process is generally a book called, takes about four or five days to record. And then you come in for like an hour or two of pickups, stuff that got, you got wrong and you have to go in and, you know, fix. And normally, the most I generally, I have anywhere between 20 and 50 pickups in a project when I can knock that out in an hour. This, we had 350 pickups because the names, the Ukrainian Ukrainian and Russian names, you know, they wanted them, they wanted them so specific and really perfect. Um, so, and then the longest book I've ever done, single book, was a book called Gotham, which is a Pulitzer Prize winning history of New York City. And it's two volumes, and it's four thousand wow. pages, and that took four months. And that, 
Wait, so 4,000, that many pages, how, how many hours is that? <laughs> like, it's got to be a lot. It's a 60 hours, about 60 hours. Hot damn. Yeah. yeah, it's a commitment. It's a great, it's a great book. I mean, it's a fantastic, I mean, the, you know, and I'm, I love New York. I'm a native New Yorker and I love, you know, delving into the history. And um, so it was, it was fun. Uh, but then I love doing the fantasy too. I love doing fiction. And I mean, I've done some, you know, classic fiction like Vonnegut. But, um, uh, and I'd done a couple of fan other fantasy series before I got the Drizzt. And the Drizzt thing was, you know, it was interesting how it came to me because they had recorded a couple of the books, not starting from book one, and they had two different narrators. And everybody hated the narrators, apparently. And so they, Wizards of the Coast, came to Audible and they said, we need to find a new narrator. So they did a contest where they, they recorded, they had three of us that Ari Salvatore approved. And then they put it on the fan website and the fans chose me. Oh, that's awesome. 53% of the fans chose me. So there was already like a lot of buy-in, you know? And, um, and I still get, when, when people come to those other books, they, I get all these like Twitter messages saying, what happened? Where'd you go? Did they fire you? So no, no, just be patient, I'll be back. But the, the fun thing with the, so much you were saying about character stuff, character voices, the fun thing about, um, about uh, fantasy is that you really can take liberties with the voices. In general, they want you to be really subtle with characters in, in like obviously in, you know, nonfiction stuff, but even in fiction, they want you to be fairly subtle. But, you know, you can just go crazy with the, um, I, I, you know, I love some of the voices in, um, that I've managed to create. And it's fun, funny, because I, I won't tell you, uh, I, I will never reveal this, but Jarl um, Axel is one of my favorite voices that I created, and every, a lot of people love that voice. And one of the ways sometimes I'll create voices is, I'm so bad at celebrity impersonations <laughs> that I'll do a celebrity impersonation and it'll come out as a voice, but nobody recognizes it. <laughs> and that's how Gerald Axel started. So he's based on a celebrity, but I will never tell you who it is. I'm going to have to go back and listen and, and uh, kind of play celebrity bingo and see, you know, like process yeah. of elimination. <laughs> I would love it if you guessed it, but I don't think we will. It's so bad. That's amazing. Yeah, and I do have to say Gerald Axel is... It's he's one of my favorite characters too, yeah, right. uh, you know he, he's he's complex but he's also mysterious and kind of you know cheeky and I think a lot of people idealize that and and wish they were like that in real life right. <clears throat> yeah. I think that the genius of Bob's books um, is that you know they're they're simple enough for young people to understand but as opposed to so much fantasy or comic book fiction. I really think all great stories, truly great stories, are about moral ambiguity. And that's the heart of the story, is moral ambiguity. It's like, how do you be a good person in, a, in an impure world? And, um, and I, yeah, I love, I don't know if you, last summer I got to do a compendium of all Drizzt's diary entries. Yeah, I heard oh, that. Wow. I, yeah. I haven't listened to it, but I wanted to. Yeah, yeah it was really fun. Uh, really, really cool. And at the same time, I did right around the same time I did the meditations of Marcus Aurelius, and it was wow. similar. I was. I mean, say. it was very similar. Yeah, that's so, so cool. I, so I love that people are getting, um, you know, like you say, Gerald Axel is such a great character because he, he's morally ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and honestly, 
that, that is actually something I wanted to talk about because one of the things that really struck me about your voice acting style, specifically in the Driz books, is in those diary entries because it, it's one thing to just read a diary entry, but it's one thing to also kind of hear someone read it and, and really get or feel like you get the emotion behind the entry, right? So, so how... And you mentioned this before with like heightened language and making it human. What tips would you give to someone who who is trying to really convey the deep emotion behind just the words they're saying, right? Good question. Um, well, let me go back to so I do sometimes. Um, I've done classes, audiobook classes for actors, and what I always start people out with is Shakespeare's sonnets. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, this is sort of my motto as a writer is, um, Mark Twain said, the difference between the perfect word and the almost perfect word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And so if you're reading really good, good fiction, you're, you're really imbuing, finding that. It's just, you know, you're, you're, I mean, the, the, okay, let me back up. So one of the reasons I choose, I choose Shakespeare for people to um, work, start with. They choose, uh, I do a, a sonnet and then we get into the books. Is that, you know, the great fear that actors have with Shakespeare and American actors is that it's going to be boring. And the only way, the only way it's boring, because it's not boring material, the only way it's boring is to shy away from committing to the emotion of the moment. So it's if you commit to specifically what you're saying, this is not a general sort of wash of emotion. You've got to be specifically following the. So again, it's that's why classical training is so important for audiobooks because what you're doing when you're narrating is you're helping the listener follow the thought. So you've got to really follow that thought, and and these p again like classical characters, they're passionate about their thoughts. These people. What they're thinking is is passionate, whereas so often, and in, in, I think it's less true now, but for so often it's been we we hide what we feel with our language, with the things we say. So you've got to be careful. You've got to be willing to look for what's the specific thing that's being conveyed with each word, and it becomes very natural. But just commit to a specific meaning behind each word, rather than a general, and really just follow the thought moment to moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah. Go ahead, Tanner. Uh, no, I, I just I love it because I've had the same experience. I, I saw some clips of uh, what's the show called? It's uh, in the actor's studio. What's that one called? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in the Walton studio, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, and, you know, they have some actors who read uh, Shakespeare. And I'm like, these guys are amazing, <laughs> you know? Uh, and they do it so differently depending on who's portraying it. And it, it kind of does go to show what you were saying. It's like, hey, you have to commit to something, you know, uh, and and there's no necessarily right way to do it in, in at least right. in certain, you know, stories. Right. Uh, I think especially uh, going to D&D and, and other kinds of places where we get the freedom to act, you know, so, so many players wait until the moment is quote unquote worthy of having like emotion or like being passionate about, but it's like, Hey, before that, during mundane things, you can choose to have emotions as well. Right. 
even when you're buying an egg from the market or whatever else, right? Yeah. Because what's the, you know, sometimes you start as an actor, you start a scene by asking yourself, what's the preceding moment? What happened before it started? Where's the character coming from? Mm. You know, that's that they're, they're, we're always bringing something into every moment. We're not, we very rarely arrive, unless you just came from a meditation. You know, you very rarely arrive totally clean. You brought something with you. As a listener of this show, you obviously love story. Now that you've had a chance to craft your own story by listening to this show, wouldn't it be nice to get some inspiration? Or maybe you just want a moment of immersion and escape and entertainment. Whatever it is, come join us on our new show, Packed and Boom. It's an actual play D&D podcast in the world of Calignos, where our characters Jolly, Wolfgang, and Alan will find and meet each other in hell. And from there, start a troublemaking journey with some near-death experiences that will hopefully lead them to a happy ending. Find it wherever great podcasts are heard or just go to sessionzerostudios.com slash packed and boom. That's P-A-C-T-N-B-O-O-N. Start listening today. And how does that affect what you're about to do? And, you know, and again, I, I, I've never played D&D. Uh, actually, I did do a book about playing D&D and D&D two years ago. It's kind of fun. Oh, that's fun. But, um, but it, it um, you know, how much do people really explore? What's the point of view? What is the life experience of this character? And what's the point of view they're bringing with them? Um, and that's what, and again, it's, it's, just, it's so much easier when you're working with good material because that's what, you know, Bob's books, you know, they're in, obviously in a way they're formulaic, but still he, you know that ultimately these characters are going to survive, but he still get, puts you on the edge of your seat. Yeah, you know, you're still, every time, you're still like worried, you know, when these characters are in jeopardy. And that's, that's just a fantastic, you know, skill and talent. It's, it's you know, um, and, and again, it, like I said, it, certain material is better for certain people. I, I love the questions that Drizzt asks himself. I mean, there are questions that I, would, I ask myself. Sometimes I, really, I just really can put myself in the moment and think that I'm Drizzt. You know, so, um, but that's the key. It's just, you know, the, um, and again, audiobooks are so much fun because you get to play all the characters. So you get to keep switching points of view. And everybody, everybody, nobody thinks they're a bad guy. Everybody thinks they're doing the best they can in the way that they understand the world. Even like, you know, Lolf or, you know, Matron, Matron Mesbaris or whoever, yeah. you know. Um, they all think they're, you know, doing the best they can in the world that was given to them. And then you have the heroic characters like Drizzt who are willing to push out of the boundaries of the world they were given, question that. You know, maybe this is not the way it should be. And that's the hero's journey. Yeah. Um, so if I've understood, it's it's not so much like acting as it is like adoption. You're adopting the emotions that, you know, this character theoretically has. Um, you use the word subtle, right? Like sometimes you have to be subtle. And I, I 
at least in the world of D&D, <clears throat> there are a lot of cliches, right? You know, you have the dwarf who has the Scottish accent, right? Uh, things like that. And I, I think the word, the, the subtle word, would be very useful for a lot of people out there who might not feel like they can do, you know, the South African accent or, or you know what I mean. Um, so, so what are some tips for kind of increasing the subtle differences between uh, characters so that way it's apparent that, you know, if I'm talking and then I stop and then I talk again, you can tell it's two different people, right? Right, yeah. So that's a great question. And one of the, the most obvious uh, one is when you're doing, when you're a guy and you're doing a girl's voice. Because you don't want to go up like this because this is ridiculous. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. nobody's going to want to listen to that for half an hour and they're not going to take the conversation seriously. So it's, you know, so you alter things subtly with tone, you know, with, with um, you know, so I'll, I'll, for, for women in particular, I'll, I'll basically soften the voice just a little and, and make it a little bit higher. And um, maybe the, the place, the place that confidence comes from is a different place. It's less testosterone driven. And, um, and, and, then, and then sometimes you can also change the character with the speed. You know, some characters talk really fast. Or some characters talk really deep, you know. With with Dungeons and Dragons, it's easy because then if you're doing, you know, some sort of a bizarre, you know, creature from the underworld, you know, you can really just take a liberty with that. You know, um, uh, um, yeah. So those are so it's tone, speed, and again, if you do like um, like Jarlaxo, you know, I just made a decision that this is what he was going to sound like. You know, and it's it just sort of fits him, you know, and and that's still my voice. It's still clearly my voice, but it's just a subtle shift. So you can feel, you know, when a different character is speaking. I mean, the but generally, again, this is less about the game and more about audiobooks. But the rule of thumb is when you're the main character in a book should be the closest to your own voice. And then the next closest to your voice should be the narrator of the book. And then from there, you go off, depending if it's a really a tertiary, a secondary character, you want to keep it, you know, pretty close to, you know, pretty subtle. But if, it's, if you start getting into third level and fourth level characters where they really are kind of two dimensional, you can give them more goofy, you know, voices. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like it. Uh, you know, just obviously from a voice acting standpoint, but even for D&D, I, I think some newer players, because this happens all the time, people come into it and they think, hey, I need to, you know, come up with a crazy voice initially. And it's like, hey, how about you play a character who's actually very close to your normal voice, but you learn how to imbue that with the emotion of the moment in what you're doing uh, and how you're playing the game. And then later on, you can change things up, you know, because you got that initial practice. Uh, and especially for DMs, you know, the people running the D&D game. Right. It's, it's okay to have more than you'd think of the uh, players, that, the uh, characters you're playing to sound like derivatives of your own voice. Because you can still, through tone, through speed, sure. uh, certain things make them unique. Yeah, I really like that. And, and the other thing is, you know, it's, it's kind of a mistake to really emphasize emotion that, because that's a result 
you know, when you're taught as an actor, you're, you're taught really more about how do you connect with the process so that it's not, you're not going for something that you've predetermined and you're trying to sound like what you already thought about earlier. So basically the things you think about in a scene is what does my character want? What are they after? And really commit to that. I don't know if you ever watch I Love Lucy, you know, old reruns of I Love Lucy. Well, just, you know, anyway, Barry, that's a, I'll forget about that. <laughs> um, uh, but you commit to what you want. And then basically there are always obstacles to getting what we want. And oftentimes it's another character or it's a, um, a physical, yeah, phys some sort of physical difficulty or a journey that you have to go on. And so what we, tr what we do as human beings is we go after what we want. We try something. It doesn't work. We try something else. So it's about, it's about pursuing what you want and then what are your strategies for getting it. So sometimes the strategy will be yelling at somebody and demanding it. Other times it'll be manipulating them. And it can be the same words, but it's just, it's a matter of what are the different strategies? If I haven't gotten what I want, what do I try next? You know, and that's what's going to create more of an organic, um, real feeling to it because that's what we do in life. Yeah, that's great. That's super interesting to me because I don't think I've ever thought about <clears throat> my uh, characters having strategies. You know, especially even the characters that are kind of bit players. They come in for like five minutes, and then you know we move to whatever else the players are doing. Um, so, so with that, and obviously with you know the, the the Shakespeare sonnets, are there any specific things or or, or even general things that you recommend to someone? to practice kind of voice acting, I guess. Oh, to practice. Um, well, I, and this is, I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you guys, but when we, when we work on the sonnets, I always tell people, I always tell, listen, like listen to Frank Sinatra and listen to the way he uses emphasis to change, you know, in the course of a song, he stays within, and it's again, it's specific to sonnets and Shakespeare because sonnet, Shakespeare is generally written in iambic pentameter, so you have a meter that you have to adhere to, but you can take liberties within that. So, you know, it's the same thing with Sinatra. Sinatra stays in, he stays in the, the, the um, what do you call it, the, the rhythm of the line, and uh, I forgot, I'm losing the, um, losing the word, but, um, but, but he's, he stays within the rhythm, but he, he also takes liberties. So it's, um, you know, in terms of other things, um, I would just say, just be conscious of, start being conscious and mindful of, of how you approach things in life yourself and watch how you, when you're after something, what are your strategies? You know, how do you go from one thing to another? What are your patterns of approaching situations? And, you know, somebody may have, depending on how they were raised, which one will they go for first? You know, some of them may go for, maybe they're a bully and they'll go, the first one is going to be trying to just get it by force. Maybe they were disempowered as children and so they're going to have to go by manipulation or, or they're going to have to be a supplicant or they're going to, it depends on, you know, so it's it's what's the backstory of your character, and you can usually imply that from what, you know, where someone is now in their life. You can sort of create a backstory and say, 
okay, I, I, I can see where this would go. And then, um, but then, you know, you still got the supplicant who occasionally is going to get angry and, 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 you know, demand stuff. They're pushed to a certain place. So it's just a matter of how determined, how determined are you to get what you want? <laughs> I wouldn't worry about, you know, the, the sound of the voices and the, all that stuff is almost secondary. <laughs> the most important thing is grounding it into in a kind of reality, especially when you're doing D&D, because I'm imagining it's mostly improv. You're not really given a script, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in improv, you can if you can really, um, you know, there's a great there's a great book called. Um, by Viola Spolin. And it's a book on improvisation. Famous, it's a seminal book on improvisation. I forget the name of it, but it, you look it up, Improvisation by Viola Spolin. And that would be a great, you know, improvisation class would be a great thing for people who are doing D&D. Because it's, you know, and, the, and the, 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 again, the trick to um, improvisation is the, the basic rule is you never say no. So somebody does something, you don't say, no, that sucks, I'm going to do something else. You go with what they brought to it. And then you build on that. You don't like say no that you know you don't have to internally say no that does you don't it's like brainstorming, you know you just you've got to keep the, the ball moving forward on the court. So if someone brings something, okay, how can I use that? But I think that would be the probably the most useful thing is an improv class. Um, and yeah. there are some great basic exercises in the Viola Spallen book on improvs. Man, that's that's wonderful. Honestly, I, I really like. Uh, I don't know. I think we came into this with uh, with certain questions, and you just answered like most of them without us even having to ask. Uh, I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, one last one that I kind of have is, you know, I, I think if people aren't grounding, uh, well, let me switch up how I ask this. Uh, I think it's very easy for people to feel like they don't need to ground a character in reality because they're like, oh, it's a bit player. Uh, it can be a caricature for, for a joke, you know? Uh, right. Does that hurt the story at all, or is there a place for that? So there are two ways that I'll answer that question. One, I'm going to go back to I Love Lucy. So I Love Lucy was a really silly sitcom from the, from the 50s. And, you know, she was, Lucille Ball was a, she was a mainstream actress. I mean, she was a bathing beauty and she was in a lot of, a lot of dramatic roles. And, and she became this, she wasn't that funny a person in real life, but she became this kind of queen of comedy. And the way that stuff is funny, it's because it's the most ridiculous situations, but she commits to it 150%. <laughs> like like the, the terror that Ricky is going to find out she bought a new hat. And she commits to that 150%, and that's what makes it funny. And then going back to Shakespeare, I don't know if you ever read Hamlet, but so Hamlet's got these two, there's two bit players in Hamlet named Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And um, they're like his friends from college who come visit, and they're sort of a, the butt of a lot of jokes in the course of the book, course of the play. And they're, they don't have a lot to say, and they're, they're famously drab. As characters um well there was a book that i think it was tom stoppard uh, I mean, a play that tom stoppard wrote in the 60s a british playwright called rosencrantz and gilders gildenstern are dead and it's basically the ham hamlet 
the entire play from the perspective of Rosengrantz and Guildenstern. So they're the main characters. <laughs> so, you, you know, everything, yes, you know, it depends. If you're, if you're a writer too, sometimes you'll put in a two-dimensional character just for comic relief. But even if it's comedy, what makes it funnier, really grounding the comedy, is that, that character committing to something that's, that is ridiculous. And that's what's going to elevate the comedy rather than, rather than making a joke of it. You just commit to something outlandish and it's going to be funnier. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. I have to say, uh, I am very surprised and, and pleasantly so that, you know, I, I came in thinking we were going to talk about voice acting and we did but we, we talked about really the skills behind voice acting which is you know like you said committing and, and grounding it in a sort of reality I love that phrase you know because D&D you know one thing we always strive for in D&D is, is that immersion and if you can bring parts of reality into it uh, you know it, it creates anchor points to reality and it, it makes yeah. it all feel more, more real right yeah yeah, it's just going to be more exciting for everybody as people and the more and it becomes contagious because the more one character commits to reality, the more the more real it becomes for other people. And, you know, you'll go deeper and deeper into a, you know, a really powerful experience. Exactly. Uh, well, Victor, I think we're actually coming up on the time we've allotted ourselves. So thank you so much. I can't believe it went that fast, but thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm glad, honestly. Yeah. Usually before we end, we all give everyone kind of a, like a last minute, like here, listener, this is the last thing I'd like to say. Um, so I'll start and then Tanner can go. And then Victor, if you'd like to share one last thing, um, listener, I would just recommend with your voice playing or, or voice acting in your games. Um, the, the biggest thing I would probably say is try and make the characters real from a sense of what are they thinking about? What do they care about? You know, even if they're a, sh a shopkeeper in some tavern or something, like think about why they're there and what they want out of any situation. I think that'll take you a long way. <clears throat> uh, and kind of spinning off on that, I, I think we sweat the small stuff too often. And that's what I've realized here. Uh, like, you know, you don't have to get the perfect voice that you are imagining for a character. That's not what's going to sell it. Uh, I mean, you could do a very bad uh, Christopher Walken impression, and that could be a voice. That's that's fine. Uh, no one's going to judge you for yeah. that because they don't know who you were trying to do. What will break it for them is if you're not fully committed and if you haven't grounded it in reality. So, yeah. And um, sort of uh, going on what both of you have said, you know, the great fear of any kind of performing is that you're going to be humiliated and you're going to, people are going to judge you. And the more you commit to an objective and you involve yourself in an act, look a bit more of as an activity that you're after something and you're committed to that, the less time you will have to think about what other people are thinking about you. Wow. And the more, the more powerful, you know, the more powerful the experience will be. So. I love it. Mic drop. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, Victor. Uh, before Thanks, we let you go, how can people reach out to you, support you, see what you're up to, and follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Victor Babine. Um, uh, Instagram, I have a pretty active Instagram page. Uh, also on Facebook, Victor Babine. Um, and 
victorbevine.com if anyone is out there and has a book that they, you know, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of independent authors have reached out to me to uh, narrate their books because they know that I, you know, people when they finish the Drizzt, they'll say, what should I listen to now? And so I've worked with a lot of independent authors. So, um, yeah, I'm out there. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listener, uh, we'll be back next week for another amazing episode. Until then, let's go ahead and roll initiative. Do you love these podcast episodes but aren't always able to listen to them? Do you learn better reading information rather than listening to it? Here's what you can do. Go to sessionzerostudios.com slash newsletter. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. You'll get tips and tricks sent directly to your inbox in written format that you can read and reference whenever you want. You'll get tips that we don't share on the podcast and bonus techniques that, frankly, no one has ever heard before. Again, sessionzerostudios.com slash newsletter and uh, get those free tips and techniques right to your inbox every week.